Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Ruron Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at GotYourSixCoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Pete Turner. Pete is a United States Army veteran. His operational experience includes more than 70 months in combat zones and over 1,000 combat missions. In 2012, he co-founded CultraSec with research partner Dr. Richard Lede. Their organization focuses on enabling organizations to better create, measure, and leverage culture. Pete is also a co-host of the Break It Down Show and has been involved in numerous podcasts and content-based marketing strategies. He focuses on using podcasts as a means of creating content that fuel familiarity in the marketplace. These strategies are achieved by linking the tactical demands of the market with corporate goals. The methods Pete employs were developed while advising United States government elements in conflict zones. Get up, nation. Join me in welcoming Pete Turner to the show. Pete, welcome. Hey, man. It's an honor to be here. It's always great to be on someone else's air, and I always appreciate it. And I'm excited to have you come on my show, too. So awesome. this is great, man. I love I love sharing this space. Good deal. Yeah. Pete, let's start with where you currently live and work. Where are you at? Well, I live in Orange County, and I work wherever the work is. So, like, right now I'm in Arizona, and I'm working on some client stuff there. So it's, my, my work is sort of wherever, you know, wherever the work is, that's where <laughs> I'm at. It, it came, I've got clients in Florida. She's all over the place. So I move around quite a bit in support of my efforts. Nice. All right. If you don't mind, we'll go way back and get to the beginning of things. What led to your decision to join the military so many years ago? Well, the economy was really bad for finding jobs, and I got out of college, and I was struggling to, first off, we didn't really learn how to find jobs in college, so it was like a surprise. <laughs> like, there's there's more work to do here, and yeah, it was really hard for me to crack the nut on that, and so ultimately, I had you know three or four jobs after I got out of college, and I was trying to find my way 
and I was working at Costco and I'd been hired on full time. They were going to permanently, I should say, from a holiday status. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I, I you know, I have this job now. That's good. But I didn't go to college to work at Costco. And there's nothing wrong with working at Costco. But I was trying to sort it out. Sure. And one day I was pushing shopping carts in the rain with the conundrum of I didn't have enough experience to get a job, but I couldn't get a job to get any experience. Hmm. No idea I was going to do the military to 30 days later being gone in the military. It was really, <laughs> really, really fast. And and that's what happened. I just, I'm like, I've got to do something. You know, this isn't the direction I need to go. So let's do this. And I signed up and I, I left. Nice. Do you want to take us through some of the experiences you had? Yeah, well, I mean, I, so I went to counterintelligence school and, you know, spy school, and we learned how to do surveillance and all this, all this, you know, secret spy stuff. And that was a really neat time to to do something totally foreign to what I normally do. And, and then I went to Germany, and it was sort of like the like the vapors of the end of the Cold War, you know, in 94 when I got there. Mm-hmm. So we were still doing some Cold War type missions with, with no idea what was coming next. You know, so it was it was just this weird kind of limbo that we were in as as a unit. And then the next thing you know, Bosnia jumps off and we had to go there and, and I learned how to do my job and what ultimately would be my profession for the next, you know, fifteen years right there in Bosnia. So sort of like trial by fire, like go learn how to do this and, and so I did. Amazing. So you have a ton of combat missions. You have a ton of time in combat zones. As you reflect on all that you've experienced in those places, how have those experiences oriented you to being successful now dealing with corporations who are trying to achieve business goals? Yeah, so whether it's it's uh, my podcast or it's specifically cultural consulting that I do, it's interesting because it all ties back to, to what I did as as a spy in conflict zones. So it might depend on the specific mission, but a lot of times what I did for the commander is what I do for the CEO. The CEO will give me a sense of what their goals are, what their organization is supposed to be, but I go see if I can find that. You know, and, and I try to find out the unknown unknowns because as much as a CEO about will know about their own company, they can't stop being the CEO for even one second. So when they start talking, everybody looks at them like they're the CEO and it impacts their ability to, you know, see what's there. So, so that's what I learned how to do was I learned how to go out and find out what was keeping commanders from winning. Hmm. And, and you know, culture is expensive. So when I go out into a company and the CEO says, like, you know, hey, we're all about family around here. And I'll be like, I don't I can't find that. I can't find anybody that's like these guys love family. Mm-hmm. You know, if your values aren't in alignment at the ground level with what your vision is, then, then that person and I have some work to do, try to figure out how to get there. I learned how to do that. I learned how to interview at the highest level. I, I learned quite a few skills that apply directly to, coincidentally, <laughs> apply directly to business while I was a spy, you know, while, while I was surviving and, and, and eking out an existence, you know, culturally and, and see, interviews, it all translates to what I do today. Wow. And translating those experiences into successful business practices, that that seems to me like a really healthy way to process what you've experienced in in combat zones. Sometimes we have trouble, you know, transitioning those skills into things that have value outside of the military. Sometimes we experience overwhelming things there. But to have you turn your insights and and knowledge into principles that help you and others succeed, that seems like it's just a very healthy way to, to transition. When did you first start realizing that, you know, these lessons you were learning had value outside of the military arena. 
Well, when I was in working, you know, a lot of my career, I also, I should say, to be fair, I was working with the military as opposed to in it because I'd gotten out. And then I came back and I, I worked on either contracts or for the federal government as, as an employee. So I want to make sure I say that to be fair. But the whole thing about realizing it was I knew while I was in, like, this is valuable. What I'm doing, commanders love and they want more of it. So how do I give CEOs that? And, and I thought at first when I was going to transition, I would just get a job doing something like this internally for a company like Intel that has thousands of locations and tens of thousands of employees but turned out no one <laughs> no one cared that I had these skills or, or you know had any desire to, to put money into me to do it for them so the transition although it makes sense in the rearview mirror man it was it was treacherous and, and just about killed me hmm. And I was wondering, so as you explore these businesses and organizations, and then you try to find what the CEO says is happening there, in the times where you don't find it, how have some of the CEOs responded? Have there been those that were impacted negatively by realizing what they had built is not necessarily what they believed it was? How do you help them understand it in a healthy way, how they can make their vision a reality? Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm there because the CEO already has a sense that something isn't right mm -hmm. or they'll, they'll hear about what I do and they'll say, hey, I'll take some of that medicine. And so I'm there because they want me there. Mm -hmm. They want me there to help them sort out what what exactly is going on. And, and, and that's cool because, you know, someone needs to do that for them. And, mm -hmm. and I, I get to be the guy and I, I don't mind doing it. So I'm there at, at, their, at their choosing and they kind of understand that there likely is something going on. And, and then when I start to nose around, it's rarely ever what they thought it was. And it's usually something else. And usually, honestly, it's quite it's expensive, but minor, if that makes any kind of mm. sense. Where you're like, hey, this is uh, really costing you a lot of money. We ought to deal with this. And then, you know, we, we do. Hmm, that's great. So one of the other focuses that you have is the focus on podcasting. How do podcasts, as you've said, fuel familiarity in the marketplace? You know, among all of the reasons why companies have a podcast, one of them is, just, yeah, creating this familiarity. You know, you can write a white paper, but what if no one reads it? Right. You know, so, <laughs> so you have this have this ability to create a body of work to establish thought leadership. It's one thing to say you have it. It's another thing to publish it. It's, it's a final thing to be able to actually say we've published it and here's our work. Like this is what we've done and, and people listen to it. Now your thought leadership has been validated and you become familiar and you can bring on your peer companies. I wouldn't call them you know adversaries because that's not the way I want people to look at. It, but you can bring on peers from your industry who lead the way also, and then you can share influence with them. Hmm. And it's just a powerful tool for, for trying to turn the corner with your business and take yourself from knowing internally you have thought leadership and publishing that externally. And, and I think it's just a powerful, and that's one of many tools a private corporation can use to establish some, uh, some credibility with the podcast. Right. Will you give some examples of how you've positively impact a space, how you have helped a company succeed? Will you share some of your success stories? Oh, sure, 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 sure. I actually worked with a company that believed that their corporate culture was strong because they had it posted on the wall. <laughs> when I went out to try to find that corporate culture, I couldn't find those slogans that were on the wall. It's a very common thing, right? And this is not a knock on the company, and I won't say the company's name, but... Look, we spend a lot of time talking about 
EQ, emotional intelligence, that kind of thing. But there's a thing called CQ, and culture can be measured. It can be, you know, it can be shaped and honed. But you have to come in with the understanding that that actually exists and is actually a thing. And so, what I've done in the past, and this company I'm thinking of in particular, that you know, they wanted to create a culture, but they hadn't done the work to actually understand what it took to create a culture. They just wanted it to to be there because they said the words, and it didn't permeate through the whole organization. So. In this case, with this company, you know, it was as simple as saying, you know, if, if you're going to say these values are important to you, how would you act like that so that the employees can see it? And they're like, well, we would do this and this and this. Okay, cool. Let me go talk to the other side and let me ask them the same question. And then you go back to the, to the employees and to the other stakeholders and you start to have that conversation with them and they say something totally different. It's like, oh, I, I get what you're saying now. Like these things have to be in alignment so that, you know, the CEO's goals and decision making are in alignment with what the employees are trying to do. And, and if you have that collaboration quadrant, well, then culturally you can work together. It's way easier to work in a culture that the creator huh. Absolutely. Let's see. Now, now, you have a number of projects that are happening. You are the co-executive producer and founder of Lions Rock Productions. Can you tell me something about that? Yeah, I mean, that's the production company. So whenever I'm producing a podcast or someone or helping them to, to, you know, evaluate their podcast goals and get them there, you know, that's that's the company name for what I do. Ultimately, what they get is me. You know, I'm the one who has the knowledge. And so Lions Rock is sort of like a placeholder for, hey, that's Pete, you know. Sure, sure. But. Yeah, but, but that's it. Like, that's that's what I do is I help companies use, use a podcast to improve their condition. And if they have a podcast to improve the condition of that podcast, then that's what Lions Rock Production is about currently. But it's also moving into the space of creating limited series like, uh, you know, docupods and those kinds of things. Original content for the big production houses out in Hollywood. So that's where the, the vision is going. And it's Man, it's exciting. We, I, I get to talk to a lot of great people about a lot of great projects. And so as, as this and the next year progress, hopefully there'll be some bigger projects coming out in support of some, you know, really big, you know, movies, that kind of thing. I, it's my position, I believe, that anything HBO does, you know, or Netflix or any TV show on CBS, they should all have an accompanying podcast because there's a marketplace for that. There's people in their garages creating content off of their content. Why wouldn't CBS want to spend a little bit of money to have that in-house and maybe even create, like use that as a means of engaging fans and doing like fan fiction off of the main the main body of work. I mean, if you could imagine like NCIS and all of a sudden, you know, the network is housing the fan fiction podcast side of it. But now you've got access to even more of an audience and they're a lot richer. But instead right now, how it kind of happens, they're like, we don't know what to do with it. And so, so they don't do it. And, and that's what the, the piece I'm trying to fix right now over the next two years. Nice. That's excellent. Are you able to talk at all about Prison Chronicles or? Yeah, sure, sure, okay. sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I'm glad to talk about it. Actually, once I, once I finish with you, I'm going to put some time into it. So the Prison Chronicles, we're seeking to answer this basic question. If most inmates, including murderers, murder one even, if most of those get out of jail, which they do, what condition do you want them to be in when the gate closes behind them? Hmm. And if I told you, if I said, hey, they walk out with less than a thousand dollars after 25 years, 12 years, 15 years, however long it is, would you be excited about their chances for, you know, 
like retrieval, like which right. speaks added for the chances of being a contributing member of society. And, and then, and then, what if I said it's actually closer to two hundred dollars they walk out with? Wow. When you realize that, you go, God, what are we doing? Yeah, and you know, no wonder recidivism is so high. So right. we examine this by talking to a bunch of former inmates who were rehabilitated, and we try to get a sense before, during, and after incarceration. And also, we talk to the organizations that work in that same path. You know, so the, the nonprofits that are trying to, you know, get kids before prison to to come about and and give them a purpose to to you know choose a different life and then the people that are in prison you know working to try to get inmates a chance to develop there and then on the outside now you're out but one of the things we love to do is you know, release someone and then continue to punish them socially you right. know whether it's you can't vote or hey we don't hire felons around here at this job like, you work in a warehouse <laughs> why wouldn't you hire felons <laughs> like let these guys need jobs you know yeah. so there's companies that have, and nonprofits that help throughout this process and so we tell these incredible stories to just kind of say hey there before the grace of god go i in a lot of places <laughs> and to create some empathy for folks that we, we need to have a better understanding of it's really easy to say lock them up throw away the key until you start talking to them and all of a sudden you realize man right you know, they talk about like second chances. One of the best quotes in the whole thing is they never had a first chance. Wow. You know, like yeah. <laughs> let's make sure folks have a, have a chance. And, and, and I, I want to say this too: like this isn't about being soft on on crime in any right, way. Right. It's being hard on ourselves to create you know rehabilitated people right. that can become contributing members of society and stop treating humans like animals, citizens right. like animals. Right. You know? Yeah, that's profound. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that insight that you shared of people who don't have a shot. I mean, to get them to a point where our prison system is rehabilitative or a restorative entity, that's profound. And, you know, frequently I've toyed with the idea. And as I've been thinking about it, I have some posts that are coming out soon, but thinking a lot about what if America, instead of going on spring break, et cetera, would deploy an entire generation of people into our inner cities and overwhelm those places with resources, with psychologists, with business opportunities with rehabilitation with medical problems i just sometimes i think about how profound and satisfying it would be to overwhelm poverty with the finest young people and resources our nation has to offer and then go into these places and you know interrupt intentionally negative dysfunctional cycles of, of poverty drug abuse etc i just i just love anybody who does not want to keep things going as status quo wants to make a mark with their life wants to improve people's lives around them and to create an america that's worthy of the sacrifices of our fallen i just think so much as you and i both have had friends Friends who have given their life for this country. I just think of if we intervened with intensity and direction and skill sets into some of these these environments of poverty, the profound good that could be done and the, the profound lives that people could lead with honor as we give them another chance. I, I don't know. That's just something I've been thinking about lately, but it just re really resonates as you talk about the people who never had a chance getting institutionalized, incarcerated for decades, and then walking out into the world and facing, you know, those realities. That's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever the solution is, it starts with some understanding. And this is, again, is informed by my time in the field, you know, working as a spy. You know, we've, we've tried to do these things in Afghanistan and Iraq and try to improve the condition of people. But we would come with, with preloaded solutions and money 
you know, they'd, you know, we would leave. And then the next guys would come in with the same ill-fitting notions to reality. Mm. And it creates a lot of problems when, when we do this. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, as we look at prison reform and try to sort out what we want to do as a nation, yeah. you know, let's, let's be tough on crime, but let's also let's also get these folks rehabilitated so they can contribute and, and have a life that's worth living. Because right. that's ultimately what, what keeps recidivism down. You know, like yeah. when we look at recidivism and, and what it takes to get someone to, to change how they how they live and how they respond to adversity, it's not by giving them more time in prison that right. they get there. It's right. through a lot of hard work and self-development. Right. Pro-social connections where a lot of people growing up neglected, abused, chaotic homes, the effects that adverse childhood events have on young people during their development. How profound, though, I love that insight to take somebody who has had so much adversity and then to not only interrupt the stigma, to interrupt the lifelong process of them being isolated or awkward or or different than others because they can't socially integrate, to, to alter their life system by by surrounding them with people who are skilled and, and caring about them and developing that sense of personal value. Man, that's tremendous. It's redemptive. It's restorative. It's That's a beautiful thing. I can't wait to watch your show. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I, I love hearing these stories, and I'm just constantly having to stop and pick my jaw up off the floor at the wisdom that these guys bring when, when we're talking about this project. I mean, the things they say are just it, – it's it's mind-blowing, and, and I, I can't wait to see how, how you know the nation responds to the world, really, how they respond to the project because it really gives you some insight that you just can't get anywhere else. And, and these folks are talking candidly and raw and mm-hmm. – I just, I'm so excited. And so it's, I think it's some of the best work I've ever done, if not the best work I've ever done. And I I just, I'm so proud to be able to feature these incredible stories on my show. And hopefully the whole thing comes out in May. Okay. I've already got one episode fully done. There are are eight in in some form of post-production and it's a crazy endeavor. And I can't believe we're even this far along because it's such a big thing, but it's really coming together. And I'm just overjoyed to be able to, to share the project here as as soon as I'm able. And and hopefully, uh, hopefully it gets a voice because you know, one of the things I've learned along the way in this whole thing is, is if we started and we start our clock to everybody, is rehabilitatable everybody is redeemable mm-hmm. and we failed at being at bringing everybody along that's a better goal than let's punish everybody exactly you know and, and looking at looking from a point of view of, of rehabilitation and what it takes to give someone a better purpose in life that to me is is not only noble it's it's important to to keep us you know going forward as a nation you know you're right it's a great place to live and everything else let's make it great for for these folks that a lot of them again never had a chance or started life by being abused or neglected or or just completely inculcated into a society that didn't care about them and every action that we took as a society proved to them that they didn't matter let's let's get past that and start, you know, acting like these folks matter. Right. That was one thing I've served as a law enforcement officer. I've served in a number of different capacities. I've served in all of these different ways. And the main goal of all of that, that I was learning is largely, you know, it's to empower people to have laws that people want to obey, that they are able to obey, that they want to comply with that, you know, no no kid grows up wanting to be a felon, you know, no kid grows up wanting to be neglected, abused, recruited into gangs, et cetera, 
et cetera, to draw a line in the sand and say no more of this stigma, this, you know, incarceration process. And to say, you know, where they may have never heard it before in someone's actions toward them, you do have great value. You are a human being. You are one of us. You are an American. You are wherever you're at. And to, to band with them, to, to communicate to them the truth that they are valued. It just, that's right. profound. I just, I can't wait to see your series. I'm excited about it, man. It's, it's really awesome. And just the, the, again, the lessons that are in there are just, they're heavy lessons. And, and I, I, again, I, 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 can't, I can't wait to get it out there <laughs> and let folks hear it and, and tell me what they think. It's, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. That's great. That's great. Man, I'd like to really get into that nugget that you shared that was, you know, you're going into these situations and that initial analysis is crucial. So if, when you have boots on the ground and, you know, you have maybe a leadership body who's kind of telling you what needs to happen there and then you're getting on the ground, you're seeing the faces, you're listening to their voices, you're seeing their struggles in real time. And then to be caught in that place in between where you know that maybe what's coming down from on high is maybe not as accurate as it needs to be to actually liberate or to actually free people from destructive processes or from, you know, terrorist infiltration into these systems. So how do you navigate that in between where you communicate with both sides, draw that line and be successful, whether that's in the combat zone or in our country today? Well, there's a real answer to this and, and it's achievable and it starts with first off slowing down, understanding what, what it is that's going on and then applying you know, our considerable resources towards the problem. Yeah. And we can't always slow down. Sometimes action has to lead. Sure. But it, you know, in things like going to Afghanistan or Iraq or, or any, any kind of endeavor, like you talked about your, your social initiative for inner cities, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that is a great, like, that's a great strategic theoretic goal. Right. That's great. Now, what do we need to do at the tactical level? And more importantly, what, what do we need to do at the ground truth level to make this a reality so that when we go out there, we're actually hitting center mass on the target right. and not just you know, not just doing things, but it's how we do it and, and doing less, but doing that less better. You know, yeah. um, one of the programs we've interviewed for the Beckett Downstream Prison Chronicles is a program called Advanced Peace. And they started in Richmond, California, where the violence was through the roof. And they went through and they started case managing the worst 25, the most violent people they could find. And it cratered the violence in that city yeah. because they were getting after one thing, very small, very controllable, and they could do it successfully. And so they did, and you know, it's not that they don't have violent crime in Richmond anymore, but now they have a whole lot less of it because they're taking these people from the situation where there is no hope, there is no future, and, and they've allowed them to create one for themselves. Right. And, and the city pays for it, and it, it makes money because it costs a lot of cash to incarcerate it someone does. And, and to fly someone to the hospital with a bullet hole in them only to see them get shot six months later. You know, right. That stuff's expensive, so these programs, when they're done well, but they have to be done small, they have to be, you have to make a lot of mistakes. It's easy to think you're having, and I saw this all the time with the military, we would have great intention, but when you measure the impact of what they had done, it just wasn't reliably there. It didn't yeah. sustain, and, and oftentimes, what, whatever, everybody, we talk to people, like, everybody did the best job, everyone, they were there, but when you go and look for their impact, you can't find it. Yeah. Could you just explore the concept of the ground truth and how important that is? 
this is the main thing that I learned when I was overseas working as a spy was like, what is the reality on the ground? Not the questions that you can think of here in the staff room that's nowhere near the battlefield. Right. But for real, what is keeping us from winning? That's the ground truth. Yeah. And so, like, you know, again, I'll use your, and not to pick on you, but I'll use your example of taking kids to, you know, college kids and, and professors and instead of spring break, coming to an inner city. I would say, as as a ground truth expert, you can't reliably expect to create anything other than instability. Mm-hmm. You know, when you do that, because you're not there long enough, you're not there. You don't have a design. You, yeah. you have to have someone measuring externally your success. I saw this all the time where the military would say they go out and they count how many schools. Yeah, and then they'd say, okay, there's there's 750 schools in this district, and then literally, like the next unit would come in and say, how many schools do we have out here? And I would look around and go. We have this already. Yeah. And then why are we asking us? Why aren't we asking this the ground truth? Right. Why aren't right. we asking them? Right. You know? Hey, how many schools do you guys have? You're the minister of schools. And when he goes, I haven't a clue, now you got a ground truth problem. Right. Because you don't know how many schools there are. In every unit asks this question, they don't know how many schools there are. And then when you go out and you, you march out to the school and say, We want to see how many kids are in school today and so all of the locals know to bring their kids and put them into school. Pete goes the next day and uh-huh. goes, hey, man, I was at that school thing yesterday. Honestly, how many kids go there? Would you show me the inside of it right now? They're like, yeah, sure. And I go there. Guess how many kids were in that classroom? Zero. And you know why? Here's, so there's a crown truth problem. Do you get that part? Right. Here's why there are no kids there. It's a dangerous place. Right, right. And the parents are like, are you kidding me? Right. Yeah, we'll come there when you guys are there and you force us to do it. But the next day? Yeah. No, because the Taliban or the Al-Qaeda or the whatever. I mean, look, when I got a chance to talk to kids, especially now that they've been out of Iraq for 15 years or whatever, and they tell me their stories of day-to-day life. Like, And then I went to the 7-Eleven, and, and I'm, that was not a 7-Eleven, just as an example. Like, I went to the local market, and there was a guy laying there with his head cut off. Yeah. And I walked over his body, and I went, and I took care of the task that my mom gave right. me. And then when I came out, there was another dead body 20 minutes later. So you think about that ground yeah. truth. Like, why why in the world would any parent send their kid to school when people are getting their heads chopped off at 7-Eleven? Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's the ground truth. It's getting the gritty analysis, the unpretty, the unfiltered look at what exactly is happening there. Absolutely. So that's the thing that excites me the most because people who want to create a real impact, who don't just want to sign this off or get, you know, a promotion or whatever it is, is saying that we put, you know, 74.15 schools in at this place and we did, you know, and, and, and I can, this looks good on a resume and everything like that. But at the end of the day, the real problems were not resolved. And to clarify my prior statement of, I don't want to send, you know, a bunch of, you know, frat boys into the hood, you know, I like the concepts of what's the ground truth there. Well, we have generations of people who have, there's been systemic discrimination and tremendous abuse, tremendous neglect, tremendous toll of poverty in their lives. And so not just sending those type of people, but sending sending medical, sending sure, business sure, leaders, sure. sending psychologists, you know, just deploying, just diluting the crime, diluting the negative influences, doing community building projects, take, having people take ownership of these neighborhoods, having a mass diluting influence in there of having people with, from every diverse background come in and draw and celebrate out the best of human beings' lives and skills and talents and and drowning out the massive negativity that leads to so much violence, death, and and suicide and get in there with these professionals to actually flip the script on generations worth of abuse and neglect. That's what I love when I get fired up hearing you talk about, you know, you're going into these places and you're not 
you're not playing the game of blowing sunshine up somebody's rear end. You're going in there to be like, what is actually happening? Because lives are hanging in the balance. We've invested so much in these in these endeavors. We've got friends who have given their lives. We have all of these things happening. At the very least, we need to accurately understand what the actual problem is so that we can resolve it. And then it becomes that joy of, of actually picking it apart and then deploying the solution. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm not picking on your example. It just it was a handy example. Sure, sure. Yeah. I think yeah. we need to put energy in a lot of these problems. Yeah. But you're you're absolutely right. Is is how do you you know what is the desired outcome? Like yeah. I'll give you an example. As a ground truth guy, when someone says to me, "We have to reverse global climate change," yeah. that sounds to me like the war on drugs, the war on poverty, uh-huh. you know, the uh-huh. war on whatever. And so when I go to ask them, well, well, what's the goal? Like, right. what's the theoretic end state? Right. And we don't have agreement on it. So, <laughs> like, it's really hard to understand that. Now, I, I've heard some very reasonable goals when I hear these answers, but a lot of times it's just like, we just have to do something. Yeah. That, I, I promise you, that will not work. Right. That will right. cause increased global climate change. Yeah. That will cause. Right. Because you can't just, you have to have a design, and then the theory, the strategy, the outcome has to be tied to tiny little tactical wins right. on the ground that slowly inch you towards this goal. And right. then because you're working at that, every now and then you're going to get a big boom and a big a big piece of a win will fall out of the sky and you're like, bam, look at that, someone developed this. Yeah. And then all of that's tied to the ground truth. Like if you tell me that, because I live in California and our, our use of straws is, is killing turtles, I can look around on the ground. I've been around the world, and I'm not trying to undermine this law. I'm just, this is an example. We bag our trash in California. Yes, there are places where there's trash on the ground. And yes, there are probably some straws in that area. But if you want to have an impact on plastic that's loose and and floating around, go to Djibouti. Hmm. (laughs) You can go to Djibouti and pick up plastic the rest of your life and not pick up all the plastic. Uh And and which one has a bigger impact? You know, like... Spend the money, spend the fuel, you know, and the carbon cost to get to Djibouti mm-hmm. with, with 25 people and just go see how much plastic you can pick up off the ground. Mm. And you would be actually having a tiny measurable dent mm. in that worldwide problem. Even though you spent all that greenhouse gas to get out there, way more powerful than, than making me drink out of a plastic or paper straw. By the way, I, I never use straws anyhow, so... <laughs> But the example is, is there's a ground truth problem there. Right. You've spent all this time and resource in getting a law passed that largely has has a nano effect. Yeah. And and it's not nano where like it works. Nano like statistically with chaos, you know, something worse is happening because of this law that yeah. is actually going to cause more greenhouse damage. You know, just go to Djibouti. Just go to the Middle East and pick up trash. They don't bag your trash. They mm. just throw it on the ground. Mm. Go go send Woodsy the owl to Iraq. <laughs> 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 and you'd have a bigger impact on that. I love the environment. I want to take care of it. But let's treat it like it's serious. I, I, wrote, I wrote a paper with uh, my research partner, Rich Day, talking about female empowerment. And this is kind of a great example of it. We would talk about female empowerment, and already we were in trouble because we said the word female and empowerment. And some people got mad at the word empowerment because women are already empowered. And then they would ask me, well, whose women are we talking about, ours or theirs? And I'm like, yeah, in a conflict zone, we're talking about their women. Hmm. And they're like, yeah, well, they're already empowered too. Like, yeah, you don't even know what we're talking about yet. And here's ultimately the premise of the paper was if you just go trudging and, and you're going to go engage women and improve their condition and then leave – 
you're actually harming women more. Right, like, this right. is so important to get yeah. right. I'm so I'm such a powerful feminist. Feminist. Like I really I watched us do this. I literally saw someone one time say, "Hey, we need to do more female engagement. Let's get Sergeant Smith on the female engagement team. She's a woman. She can handle the job. No specific training. Uh-huh. No specific command guidance. Just go engage women and do yeah. things. Yeah. Is going to ultimately harm women in that region. And, that, and so that's the same concept with like global warming or any of these big ticket items how do you deal with it like coronavirus is going on right now right. look at the specific ground two things that are happening you know people are self self-quarantining yeah. you know all the sporting events are being pulled back conferences are being canceled or postponed yeah. these are tactical things that are going to deny the virus the ability to spread right the focus is on actually doing good, seeing it through, getting it done. It just seems that the short-sightedness of, of you just saying you're going to do it just to say you're going to do it, it seems like a really ego-driven thing where maybe a political party just wants to be able to get the soundbite before an election or yeah. you know something of that nature or the, or the man or woman in charge just wants to have the soundbite or look good on TV and act like we're solving the problem. But where are the legit players who want to see it through, who don't care about an agenda other than creating positive impact about resolving long-term problems, that is the most satisfying work because you're actually doing it. You're not just talking about it. Like I love that concept, the the Spartan proverb that says many words are, are poverty. And so what's your actions? What are your actions creating to create that lasting impact where women are empowered consistently, where we don't just show up and, and you know shake hands and then leave and, and actually make the whole problem worse while we delude ourselves with the idea that we're doing something heroic. I love that commitment to truth. I love that commitment to actually creating change instead of a lot of the just ridiculous waste of money and time and energy for people who are not truly committed to a solution. The female empowerment paper is a great example. Like you got two big white dudes, you know, who uh-huh. could probably handle themselves in a bar pretty well, writing a paper about female empowerment. Mm-hmm. And that alone is already reason to reject it. So before anyone, they look at us and they go, you can't write a paper on female empowerment. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't like the word empowerment. And like all this disagreement before they've even bothered to read the paper, which is right. quite excellent, actually. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we get bound up in the ego and all those things and optics and, and all, you know, all of those things that distract us from, I, and here's the other ground truth element is specifically, where is the work? And yeah. if we're going to, you know, create this outcome, okay, great. What is, what is the condition right now? You know, not just it's bad or I see bad things or I see misery and suffering. Like, how is it for this person? How do you get by day to day? What is your biggest problem you can't solve? What's the smallest problem that you can't solve that we should be able to solve right now? I ask that question all the time in Iraq and Afghanistan. Hmm. What is the smallest thing that we could literally solve right now or huh. tomorrow huh. that you just can't do but you need our kind of help? And then they would say, and it shouldn't surprise you, the most simple things. Mm -hmm. This piece of concrete keeps my kids from going to that school. I'm not going to send them a mile out of the way to walk around a fence. Mm -hmm. If you can put a crack in that that fence right there, we're glad to post a guard there. We're glad to do whatever, but we can't solve that concrete problem. And I look at the commander, the commander's like, I can move concrete all day long. Nice. Let's move that thing. And And then you look at the mayor and you go, how do we keep this safe? And the mayor is like, my kid wants to go to school too, so let's make sure that these kids do it. I'll talk to these shakes, and we'll find it. We'll find a solution that works, and we'll run it by you to make sure that it makes sense for you guys too. But yeah, let's move this concrete. Love it. Just, and, and then you know what happened the next day? We moved the concrete. Nice. And it may not solve the problem, 
but that's where the work was. Yeah. And so now you have a new problem, but it's an advancement from where you were the day before where kids weren't going to school because it's unsafe to walk two miles and dumb to walk two miles out of the way right. in a hot place that's dangerous like that. Yeah, absolutely. And every time they walk through that opening, they'll think of the positivity of you both working together to improve their lives. And it'll be a symbol yeah. daily that they enjoy. I love that. And you know what the bigger win is, is not that we get the win, but that that governor gets the win. So you look at the governor, you say, hey, I can probably get that concrete moved. Do you want me to do that? Because here's, here's the biggest lesson I learned in all of this stuff, especially when we try to deal with these big problems. There's only room for one sword in the scabbard. So if you're partnered with somebody in Iraq or Afghanistan or in the inner city, who is the sword? If it's you, that's wrong. Like you have to figure out who the sword is. Who is the person right. that's running this thing? Is it a community leader? Is it yep. a church leader? Is it the governor? Is it the mayor? Is it the alderman? Who is it right. that actually has this mission and has the responsibility of pushing this group together towards a more mm. resilient future? Nice. And if you come in with all the answers and, and you don't know any of the definitions, right. then you're creating instability. Absolutely. That's a great insight. That is a great insight for people who want to do good and wound up screwing everything up. <laughs> it's a great insight into to actually creating positive impact. I love that. This is hard, complicated, delicate work, and it's it's built through mistakes. Uh-huh. I mean, I've made all of them. And until you can winnow down your mistakes, which are definitely, you're right on the money, it's definitely driven by ego. When you're able to limit those mistakes, get out of your own way. And, and the thing I learned about how we did the stuff overseas and this just applies to Americans in general is I studied us like what was our our work creating negative impacts mm-hmm. why like when we came in with these assumptions stop assuming that stop doing more do less do it better and I was constantly adjusting with the commander like how do we get ourselves so that you know it's, it's like um, we're trying to shoot I mean it's a sports analogy we're trying to shoot jumpers right and we have on you know roller skates and <laughs> our our ball is not a basketball it's it's a block of concrete and we're like oh I'm shooting jumpers and, and manically, you think you're making all these shots. And meanwhile, you're not in any way equipped to do it. Yeah. You aren't looking at the results. You just, in your head, think you're making shots that you're just not making because you're not tooled up to do the job. Right. And so that ability to get the Americans to stop, mm-hmm. stop trying to make it about them. Stop trying to make it there. Like the, I probably heard the saying, hearts and minds. It's not our hearts. and We don't need hearts and minds. Mm. That local government that we're trying to legitimize and establish and create capacity with, they are desperate for those local hearts and minds. So how often can you get people to come to the government center? Can you get anyone to call the local police? Anyone, you know, like that. And think about that goal. Like if the goal is, can you get anyone to call the local police when they need help? That's a totally different goal than we've built all these police stations and run all these guys through training. You know, if no one knows the, I sat in a meeting with a bunch of uh, elders in Afghanistan and I asked the question, I said, who's the district chief of police? And the guy's like, I haven't got the first clue. He was literally sitting, arms reached right in front of him. Wow. And he didn't know who the man was. So I look at the commander, this lower level unit, so it's a young guy, and I'm like, what do you think about that? And he's like, he's sitting right in front of him. Those two guys were in the same meeting, I don't know, two days ago. And I'm like, well, if he knows who he is, he ain't saying it. You got a problem either way. You're trying to legitimize the police force, and this guy can't see the cop who's right in front of him. Right. Big, big problem. Ground truth problem. It doesn't brief well. But it still remains true. Yeah. 
That's intense. It just points to the huge thing that it's people. It's all about people. We can throw a bunch of money at, at all, all these different things, but it's about the relationship that we experience and being skilled at, like you were talking about, the EQ or the just understanding each other, empathizing, understanding what their challenges are and, and not getting in the way and just trying to be part of this solution. It's a, a profound reality that I think we could all learn from looking at ourselves as we focus on challenges or as we get into difficult things and, and doing some self-awareness before we speak, before we seek to start an initiative to really develop that self-awareness is crucial to actually doing yeah. some good. It's a great, great insights. Is there anything else you want to cover before we wind up? Anything you want to promote? Any, anything at all? Well, just in general, you know, we cover a lot of topics in the Break It Down show. This just past week, we had on a bunch of experts. Myself, was I was one of the guests. And we talked about SFABs, which are Security Forces Advisory Brigades. And these are advisors that professionally go out with the military. And they are military people. And they advise our international partners. And so... You know, like any organization, we're trying to get better at doing this, but the voices that are that know the work often aren't on the inside because they were the ones doing the work. And, you know, the folks that got promoted that got away from the ground are the ones trying to make ground-based decisions. So you might get that where there's three or four of those. But today's show is a world-famous percussionist. I don't know if you know who Sheila E. is, but her brother is wow. a guy named Juan, and that guy plays percussion all night long. That whole family wow. is our percussionists. Nice. And so we've got Juan on today night we've got their dad who is a legend in in the well he's a legend in the music community but also especially in the latin community you know so we have we have you know the escovitos coming on the show all the time and wow. there's just so many different things that we cover in the show even if this one isn't the one you like i guarantee you the next one will be it so we put five shows a week out and we talk to some incredible people ben will be one of them <laughs> and it, it's such a fun thing and it's so enriching and here's my plug it's like if I'm telling you that my life is so enriched through this show, imagine what it's going to do for you. You know, I'm out there trying to create this content that potentially has a chance to change your life and give you inspiration and insight you wouldn't otherwise have. But you do it through the lens of a, a combat spy. And, and I ask mm -hmm. questions in a way that is not commonly seen in interview shows. Excellent. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait to check it out. And everybody from Get Up Nation, go there now. Check it out. There's some phenomenal people who've been on that show and his unique insights here. Obviously, you've piqued our interest and we're all excited to take in your content and more and more of that. Just recommend everyone subscribe to, to the amazing things that Pete's doing. Pete, I was on the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through? All right, here we go. <laughs> all right. Who are you thankful for today? I'm thankful for my friend Dan because he's putting me up here in Arizona and I got a chance to finally meet him face to face. And I'm thankful for his generosity and hospitality. Nice. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? I'm still around. I'm supposed to be dead so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> Just always, I'm always tickled that I'm alive. There, are, I would say several times a week, I laugh at the ridiculousness of life and the fact that I'm still breathing because there's so many of my friends that aren't. And it, you know, it just life is ridiculous and it changes all the time. So hang in there, keep fighting. Nice. How do you fuel the fire within you? I love what I do. I love culture. I love podcasting. You know, I've built a life that has a lot of great people in it. It's not hard to get out of bed when you, you know, you have a lot of positive things. And it's not that I don't have problems, but I get to work on my problems doing something that I love. Hmm. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Hard work. 
hard work. You can outwork all of your problems. I mean, there's exceptions to that rule. But if you just get up and you just get after it every day, you know, you are going to outwork most of your problems and most of your peers because it's easier to not work. So do the hard thing. Do the hard work. Get it done. Keep going. Nice. You can do it. You don't have to do it in one day. It might take you 5,000 days, <laughs> but uh, you can get it done. <laughs> what are you doing today? You may have never thought you could. Well, uh, this whole Prison Chronicles project, you're talking about 20 plus hours of content and, and all these different organizations, and I'm weaving it all together into this product. And it blows me away that I have the opportunity to do it. And, it, and it's even more mind boggling that I'm putting it together. It is a lot of work. It's thousands <laughs> of hours of work into this thing. I'm really excited about it. So it, it blows my mind that, that we're this close to being done. Awesome. And then what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? I'm going to interview a guy. Uh, he's a UFC godfather guy. His name's Don Fry, and he lives down uh, by where the spy school is. I had not been to that part of Arizona in 20 plus years where I went to spy training. And uh, if you would have asked me 20 plus years ago, I might have known what this guy's name was, but I never would have thought I'd be back and interviewing him. So again, the show blows my mind all the time. Awesome. All right, Pete, how can people learn more about you and your amazing work? I'm very communicative. I'll respond. If I don't, just send me another tweet or text whatever at Pete A. Turner on all social media and or just email me, Pete at BreakItDownShow.com. I'd love to hear from you. I engage with my audience. I consider you all my friends. <laughs>